Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? We did. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Gundog Podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs> I thought you were on a roll there. So did I, so did I, but okay, I'm crashing down. Uh, Fizzle boat, quite quickly. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Gundog Podcast. Thank you so much for getting us Thank you so much for, yeah. Why don't you just do that and then I'll come in. Yeah? Yeah. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Gundog Podcast. Thank you very much for the support we've received since uh, the release of the first episode. It's, it's, it's strange. I, I think we're famous, Ben. I hope not. <laughs> so in today's episode, we're going to be covering the little people of the Gundog world, the Cocker Spaniels. Small in stature, big in character. Exactly. So we're going to be discussing all about their different characteristics and the different types of Cockers we've come across. Um, what else have we got on the show, Ben? We also have a special guest. Our first ever special guest. Um, we will also be giving a handy little top training tip at the end of the episode. So stay, 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 stay tuned for that. <laughs> stay tuned for that. Let's get going. So before we get going, just a couple of quick shout outs to some of our friends who've been listening. Shout out to Georgie and Pepper. Pepper's a lovely little black Labrador, so she'll be looking forward to the Labrador episode, no doubt. Uh, and a shout out to Graham and his little Cocker Spaniel, Juniper. A lovely little Cocker Spaniel she is. And another big shout out to the Wild Nut Gundog crew. And just thanks everyone for their support. It really means a lot. It and does. Jim and I really, really enjoy making this. We very much appreciate it. Um, if we get more shout out requests, we might need to see it. You know, make our own little segment, our own little shout out shout segment, out segment. Just to, to all the fans, because um, we've got a growing number of fans, it would appear. Anyway, Cocker Spaniels. So the original Cocker Spaniels were known as woodcockers because they were used to hunt and flush out woodcock. Cocker Spaniels obviously being very, you know, one of the smallest breeds in the gundog world. So they were very he- helpful and handy at getting in and underneath the cover where the woodcock like to sit really tight. And flushing them for you to for you to shoot. Hence the name Woodcock, Woodcockers. And hence their their character, which many would describe as they have the heart of a of a lion. And the body of What's that gonna do with a woodcockers? Ferret. They're not lion cockers. No, but they have the heart of a lion. What they have to go through. What they have to push through. What like rings of fire and stuff. Gorse. Zebra. Zebra. Mm. Yeah. Um, the savannah. Well, they're little busy dogs as well. If, if anyone's met a cocker, they'll, they'll know, or owns a cocker, they'll know. They're just always on the go, kind of scurrying around. Maybe even more so than, than Springer Spaniels. Um, they're obviously very similar to the Springer Spaniels. So we, co- we covered quite a lot on the Springers last week, but they're just, they're, they're, the, they're their own dog, which is which I find nice as well. They're not just, you know, they are very close to the Springer Spaniel, but they... They're very good working dogs in, in themselves. Though, of course, it's not just woodcock they use for nowadays. As isn't you see, it? No. Jim, guess what? It isn't. Wow. Okay. I, I mean, it surprises a lot of people what uh, a cocker can carry when push comes to shove. Because they're true. stubborn little shits. Yep. Yeah. And they'll drag a goose if they want. Yeah, I remember I had a, a, a lovely cocker called Nacho. 
who is now in Sweden. Um, but I remember his first goose retrieve and he ran over to it and was very excited and then picked it up. And as he started walking, he tripped over it and kind of did like a forward somersault. And he's like, ah, and then he picked it up again and did the same thing. And he had to do it about three or four times where he actually worked out that he probably should carry it off to the side slightly and drag it like that, as opposed to just drag it in front of him so he'll trip up into it. But yeah, the carrying ability in the dogs is amazing. It, it, it does take a bit of working up to sometimes because obviously very small, you need to build up their their neck muscles to support such a heavy bird. And their confidence. Well, some cockers are born just with endless amounts of confidence. Yeah, that's but true. some see a, a goose or a large cock pheasant and go, ooh. Yeah. Oh no. It's a bit daunting for them yeah. for a tiny little tiny little cocker. Um, yeah, I agree. There was another little cocker that I, I trained called Midge, also known as Midget. Because she was tiny, she was um, maybe like eight kilos or something like that. She was, she, I mean, she was tiny, um, and she took a while to retrieve anything. Actually, took a lot of persuasion, and initially she would retrieve a little sponge, and then she was in the house um, with my girlfriend, and she uh, gave her a bit of carrot, thinking that she'd want to eat the bit of carrot. Anyway, she didn't. She picked it up and carried it around, and then brought it back to her. So then, a couple of times, my girlfriend threw it. And she went out and retrieved it. So that was her first proper retrieve, was on a little carrot. Um, and from there, we just slowly built it up. And, uh, you know, just, you know, we tennis ball, which she enjoyed, and then a, a smaller dummy, and then a slightly bigger dummy, tennis balls and whatnot, and eventually getting onto a full-size dummy to work on the weight, and then eventually onto to pheasants. And she would initially be a bit scared of the, of the, of the, the big cock bird or the big cock pheasant, and uh, the feathers would put her off your time you know, just pinch it by the, the wing or something like that. But she eventually worked out, and it does take a bit of time. But, um, yeah, and just building that confidence up, as you said. Yeah, confidence does play a big role. And I find, like I said before, some cockers are just absolutely, are just born with it. I mean, I had the opportunity, opportunity to train three from the same litter. So we had kind of, one was called Button, and he's a lovely chocolate cocker. And none of them were none of them were especially big. So we had but we had Button, the chocolate cocker. We had his his brother Trigger, who was a lovely red cocker, and then their sister um, Tavy, who was another chocolate cocker. Davy. Oh. Tavy. Oh, Tavy. Tavy. Not Davy. Davy. <laughs> no, sister. Davy. This is Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so our special guest is just laughing in the corner. You're not allowed to make a noise if you're. You're not even room. on yet. Yeah. You're invisible. Pipe down, love. Sorry. But uh, as I was saying, little sorry. Davey, a little, yeah, little Davey, um, and they're all they're all part they're all had different points on this confidence spectrum. So Button was, I mean, I've, I've got very very fond memories of Button. I think, kind of for a, a, at the at that point, I was very new to training gun dogs, and he just made it very very easy because he was just such a confident dog. But it wasn't at the stage where he was kind of taking the Mickey out of me a bit, and kind of as we know, cockers do try and get away with liberties. They're very right. mischievous. They're very they? mischievous. It's very much springers. It's very much kind of your will be done. Mm. And cockers, it's very much no, my will be done. And I will go about it. And in my own me, way, in my, in own, my way. own time. And if you want me to do something, I'm probably not going to do it. Yeah. I'll consider but it. I can, but I probably won't do it. Yeah. Anyway, Button was an absolute breeze. Nothing phased him at all. So taking him out beating, and for me, beating was very much a new thing. Taking a, Taking a young dog out. And just giving them their first kind of look and scent of game, you know, picking up a kind of. I think his first retrieve was a was a wounded a wounded partridge. 
and it was just and it was just you know for me it was just one of the most perfect things it didn't phase in the fact that this it wasn't a dummy it had feathers and that didn't phase me we didn't kind of spit it and go oh that's disgusting mm. everything was just as it would have been on the training field it was all very natural all very natural to him but then they get but trigger anything with feathers on anything over a small dummy i'm not sure what the the actual weight of a small dummy is i should know him prepared what is it well, you know what? Right. The, the, like, the, You're into all that, yeah. Uh, half a pound. Half a pound. Half a pound uh, dummy. Anything over half a pound dummy? No. Really? Would run past it, kind of jump around it, and kind of get excited next to it, and then run straight back. Yeah. And then... And it, quite often when you do that, and you're encouraging them, so you're like, come on, good boy, good boy, and you're coaching down, you're encouraging them to pick it up, and then they see you coach down, they go, oh, I'll just run back for a hug. And they just, yeah, they just want to, love, just want to cuddle, which is to their de- detriment. It's, it's what yeah. people love about them. But when you're trying to, you know, they're not just not just here for cuddles, they're also here, you know. No, they, they can be very good working be, dogs, yeah. so encouraging that is, is, is a bonus. But anyway, back, anyway. To, back, to, back to the... Little the chocolate button. Threesome, a little chocolate button, a little red trigger, and then now a little chocolate Davy. I mean Tavy. Um... <laughs> She wouldn't touch a thing until she was about eighteen. Till she was about eighteen months old. Or at all. At all. As in, she was just happy-go-lucky, just not bother with anything. Not even hunting. You couldn't even get her to hunt or anything. She would just plod around next to you and be like, "Oh, this is nice. This is lovely." But the minute she hit eighteen months old, and she was go- she was going as a two year two, two year old, um, it all just seemed to happen for her. Very very peculiar. Yeah. But again, that's just they're all just at different points on this this confidence spectrum. This confidence spectrum. Yeah, and just maturing as well. I feel like cockers stay quite immature for a while. Um, they can they can be quite mature when they're young, but they're not fully mature. You know, they take they take quite a while. They can still be quite silly and um, un, unsure of some things, as you're saying about little Tavy, um, not going to hunt. Yeah, um, little Bella. A, a lovely little black cocker that I trained. She was much the same. Didn't you know? It took her about I think it was just over a year before she actually would start hunting properly and retrieving and everything. And same thing. I used a little yellow kitchen sponge, um, and that seemed to work well. But it, yeah, it just took a while. But she ended up being a, a lovely dog um, to work and shoot shoot over. Um, but it just took that that bit more persuasion and time. Um, and that's the thing. I think cockers, if you give them the time they deserve and the time they need, they turn into very, very capable little dogs. They're useful. A very useful which, asset. Which is why they're so popular. Second so, only yeah. to the Labrador. Yeah. Well, they're senses. also popular because they're quite cute. So people go, oh, that's cute. And manageable. I better get a cocker. Manageable size. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it turns out to be a bit of a nightmare. And that is probably why cockers are one of the, uh, I believe, one of the leading kind of rescue dogs at the minute. Because people are getting cockers and not really knowing what they're letting themselves in for. Um, and all these things we were talking about, these turn out to be problems for a lot of people and they can't deal with them. And so there's lots of cockers going to rescue. So you do need to be aware of what you're getting into if you are considering getting a cocker, definitely. Good girl, come on. Good girl. Did you know, Jim, that, well, from a reliable source that whispered, a little birdie that whispered this in my ear, that, as you mentioned last week, with cockers and springers up until the turn of the 20th century being born in the same litters and were just known as spaniels. Yeah, and the and larger they, ones were the springers and the, the smaller ones were the cockers. Cocker. 
Did you know that the, the cockers, the cocker siblings in these letters, could be as big as 21 inches to the withers? And to the withers is the shoulders. Yeah, the top of the shoulder blades. The top of the shoulder blades, 21 inches. So anything smaller than 21 inches was considered a cocker and anything larger a springer? Yes. Wow. It's, it's quite, quite the fact, and especially if you look at a lot of dogs, get your little measuring tape out, measure your dog. Um, your cocker or springer, or even your lab. Some small labs nowadays, you know, could be classed as cockers back then, because originally the the spaniels were a lot bigger than than they are today. Um, and even Wolfie, my, my springer, he's nineteen inches to the withers, so he would have been a cocker. I think the average now for for a springer is twenty two inches. Yeah, that's as big as it gets. Yeah, when it gets to the show. No, no, it's, it, the the spaniels, the cockers, and springers are are a lot smaller now than they originally were. They were kind of much bigger, stronger set dogs, broader dogs, um, but they have kind of... And far closer to their cousins, the setters, the setters, setting spaniels, yeah. I suppose. But we'll get on to that, I'm sure, in a much later episode when we when we, when we the void that is yeah. setting and pointing dogs. Yeah, when we do some more research because we know jack shit about them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure we'll find somebody to come on and actually educate us. Hopefully, yeah. Um, and so it's not just the the working cockers that we deal with. We've had a couple of run-ins with some show cockers as well. And they were run-ins. Yeah. They, they My were. God, they were <laughs> run-ins. Oh, they weren't that bad. They're 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 just they're kind of they're slightly different again. They're not they've not been bred to work, so they've been bred for for the show ring. Um, the probably the, the most recognisable um, feature of them is their their ears. I'd say they're big floppy ears. A good show cocker always had it has a good set of lugs, and usually they they got they're quite curly. Yeah, you kind of look at them and you kind of yeah it's they are polar opposites. Yeah, of each other. Yeah, and usually well well brushed, whereas any working cocker is uh, always got know, a few knots, a few knots, a few dreads, filthy, yeah, a couple of dreads. Exactly. But always happy to always happy to have them. Love them. Yeah. Um, did you know you can get little bowls for, for spaniels or cocker spaniels that are sort of like shaped in an oval so it stops their ears going to the food. Spaniel well. bowls. Yeah, little spaniel bowls. Other bowls are available. available on the market. I don't know. Maybe there's some Labrador bowls. I think um, they're, they're slow eating Labrador bowls. There's ones with the little shapes in them. Uh, yeah, something guzzling. I watched a video of a dog that they put the owner put the food down it was in that bowl and the dog lifted the bowl up and dropped it and all the food fell out, and then it just ate it off the ground. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was like, blah, blah, blah. So that was quite funny. Ben, I think there's someone at the door. Okay, okay, settle down. Hey, Jen. Hey, Ben. Hello. Hi, honey. Welcome to the Gun Dog Podcast. This is a safe haven for all things gun dogs. So a safe space. Safe space and a safe haven. Great. But please introduce yourself for all of our millions of listeners. Hello, millions of listeners. Um, my name's Jen. I am the better half of Jamie. And I am a final year vet student at the University of Glasgow. Um, soon to be vet, fingers crossed. We shall see. Um, yeah, I have a 21-month-old. Is she 21 months old? She's uh, right now. 22. You sound like such old. a mother. Yeah. <laughs> My child is 21 <laughs> months old. Anyway. We're just working on the ABCs. 
Um, I have a 22 month old Cocker. Um, she's my first dog ever. She was my birthday present for my 21st birthday. Uh, it was a day full of tears because I've always wanted a dog um, but never been allowed. So that was the day, the day my life changed for the better. And you shoved this poor little tiny cocker in a box. <laughs> <laughs> and said, here. She was all wrapped up in a little box. Yeah. Um, best day of my life. So here we are 22 months later. Um, she has all of her, all of the best little quirks that I could ever ask for and she's my best friend, but also my only worst friend. Enemy. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh. <laughs> but also my worst enemy at points. She so. is fast asleep on the bed. You so say she's 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 a guest. So we're gonna we'll, every episode when we have a, a dog on, other than when we have setters on. I don't plan on buying some setters from the house. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> but Barley is fast asleep on the sofa with a a nice little I don't know some sort of weird horn chew toy thing. Mm, it's like a really ram's sure horn. Yeah. Um, um, so a bit of backstory about Barley. She is called Barley because I suffer from celiac disease. Shout so, out to the celiacs. Whoop, whoop. Um, <laughs> so that means that I'm allergic to barley, basically. So we thought it would be quite ironic to call my little dog Barley. Um, she's also a beautiful, shiny golden colour. So she suits the name very well. And a social media icon. And she is a social media icon, yeah. We've hit a thousand followers recently. Woo! So if anyone wants to No promotions her, other than the Gundog podcast, please. <laughs> if anyone wants to follow her, her Instagram is at... So Barley just had her first full shooting season as well. How did that go? Well, it was also my first full shooting season. So That's it was a, a season full of ups and downs. Um, a I, learning curve. A learning curve, exactly. I didn't really have a clue what was going on and neither did Barley. So I feel like we complimented each other quite well. Was it an upwards curve or a downwards curve? It was definitely an upwards curve. Oh, that's good. Yeah, considering at the start of the season, neither of us had any idea what we were doing, going out beating, picking up. I went out with Jamie, so I was guided in some form there, but beating Shout was very out. much... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't stand there. <laughs> You're not paying for this day. <laughs> what was the highest point, would you say? Um, I'd say her first retrieve that I still remember we were picking up, I can't remember where, nearby anyway. Oh, it was obviously very memorable. <laughs> no, and it was a, a running pheasant and I sent her with high hopes and she came back wagging her little tail with a wee pheasant oh. in her mouth and yeah, remember that moment very well. But no, I'm very proud of her and we came a long way, the both of us together. Throughout what the was season. the lowest point, Jen? The lowest point... <laughs> don't know if we can discuss that on your <laughs> <laughs> um, It involved a lot of cursing, I can imagine. <laughs> imagine, yeah. That's probably when she ran through that kill field and flushed all the pheasants 100 yards away. Well, there we go. There's yeah. the low no, point. There's okay. the low point. Yeah. That was uh, at the end of the season, one of the last one of the last drives of the season, I think, for me and Barley. And yeah. she ended up 100 yards away from me, hidden in, in a kill field, living her absolute dream, just flushing pheasants left, right and centre. She did not want to end the season on a high. Or, or she did, by obviously, by chasing all the birds. Just um, had a bit of a time trial. How many pheasants could I... Literally felt like that. Oh, yeah. Really did oh, feel could like I flush before? Like, like playing Mario, Kart, Mario Party, trying to get <laughs> yeah, all the coins. Yeah. Bling! 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 But no, I wouldn't change her for the world. She's my little princess. So in terms of little quirks, um, there is one thing she had taken to... Barley had taken to doing quite recently 
after yeah. a training session. Do yes. you want to share with the listeners? So post-training session, we'd have a brilliant training session. She's been listening really, really well and paying attention. And I really feel like she's come all, come a long way in the past couple of weeks. But very recently, she has started having a, a keen interest in mice, little field mice. So we'd be out, we'd out, we'd be out throwing dummies and having a great time. And all of a sudden, she'd see a mouse go into a little hole and she'd sort of... She'd clock it, but she wouldn't quite tell me that she's clocked it. And then at the end of the training session, I'd send them all for a wee run around. They all get to play at the end. And when we'd be walking back up to the house, I'd say, where's Barley gone? And then I literally turned around and she was about 200 yards away, just pelting down at, the at least, I'd say at least maybe like 350. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Pitching> <laughs> for absolutely tanning it. Yeah, tanking spot. it down. It started to... because there was one day where she saw a mouse and she knew it was there was looking for it and then you were like no leave that come on and we walked back up and she went chanking off after it at the end of the, d- the session and then it just got into a habit so then the next day and then the best one was a couple of days later when we had gone through a gate uh, we do get the dogs jumping over this gate but we'd gone through this gate and shut the gate and then we're up almost at the house and we look around where's barley and she is she had ran down the road over the gate and was running across the field back to where the mice were yeah so I don't really know how to cut her out of that habit, but she seems nice to little love memory. It. Yeah, it was yeah. a great, great, great memory. <laughs> it's a great well, mark, yeah. Exactly. Um, so that is a little cocker quirk. Maybe you could just say. buy her like a little mouse, like you know, for the cats, a little string. Yeah, Get that and just you know, make do... her even more excited about mice. Exactly, exactly. That's it's just really you know, exactly. use that. We do not, con- yeah, we do not condone this. <laughs> I'm not condoning this. <laughs> Why not? I'm stepping out of this. <laughs> Um, but no, I think I love cockers so much because they are very needy and I think Jamie can safely say that I'm also rather needy. So Barley and I complement each other quite well in that aspect as well. She always loves a cuddle and Takes I always love a cuddle. pressure off me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, cockers, Barley and they, they are very needy, yeah, definitely. They're, but they, they're needy when they're, you know, they're in the house or they're getting some attention, but their attention can very quickly be drawn elsewhere and that's a, that's a difference with them and other dogs I think I think they um, they can suddenly change from being needy and cuddle up in your lap to something's going on that might be more interesting than this so I'm ready for it like chasing, I'm, mice. Like chasing the mice exactly yeah did you feel at any point that it is difficult to train her because she was so needy um no I don't think so I think do you think it worked in your favor <clears> yeah bit? I've I almost feel like when people say cockers are such a nightmare to train like I get it now but when I first started training her I was kind of like I don't really see what the issue is because she was so easy and she was you're just such a natural I am I'm just a natural trainer um but she was just so eager to please me and she just loved any attention like positive attention that I was giving her when she was getting trained so she just kind of loved the the positivity yeah I guess so yeah no, no I think it helped yeah. that you were you were very ready and you know you wanted to have you had a lot of positive energy to give her yeah. and were able to stimulate her in lots of different ways when they're young and that's the most important thing with any dog owner whether it's new or you know you've got 10 other dogs you need to have that positive energy and stimulate their brain and as you kept saying in the last episode engage their brain that's very engage important. their brain exactly yeah. with positive vibes yeah. exactly positive vibes only mm-hmm Right, Jen, I think it's about time you went and got scrubbed up and got ready for your first appearance on Vert on the Peg. Right to you, Ben. I'll head over there now, then. Vert on the Peg. Vert on the Peg. Vert on the Peg. Vert on the Peg. 
It's my pleasure to be the first vet on the peg. So thank you for having me. Um, today I thought I'd talk about something that's quite topical. Um, Alabama rot is quite a, a hot topic in the world right now. Um, you know, we need to think about our gun dogs getting filthy day in, day out during the shooting season. And also, I know our dogs are getting filthy day in, day out in the winter. Um, and yeah, I just don't feel like that many people are aware of how deadly this condition could be. So yeah, um, a little bit about Alabama rot. It is, as I said, a potentially life-threatening condition. Um, and us vets, I don't know if I can call myself a vet yet. Shout out to COVID-19. Um, Woo, COVID! <laughs> us vets are seeing more and more cases of Alabama rot, um, especially in the UK. Um, its fancy name, for those who really want to know, is cutaneous and renal glomerular... Oh, I can say it. <laughs> it goes again, take two. Cutaneous and renal glomerular vasculopathy. So, in simple terms, cutaneous means it affects the skin, and then renal glomerular means it affects the kidneys, and then vasculopathy means that it is a disease of the blood vessels. So, yeah, basically it's a condition that affects dogs' blood vessels, which then causes skin ulcers and kidney failure. Um, it works by forming tiny little blood clots in the smaller vessels, which, as I said, leads to skin ulcers, but worse than that, the clots can form within the kidneys and lead to acute kidney failure. So, not good at all. Ouch. Yeah. Wow, ouch. very ouch. Very ouchy. You're like a real-life encyclopedia. How do you pluck that knowledge from your head? I don't know. It just None of that was written down either. That's an amazing thing. It's in my brain, you it's know? It's just incredible stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, how could our dogs catch it? Um, so we're still not that sure of what causes this condition and how to actually prevent it, but it's been proposed to avoid walking your dog in very muddy woodland areas. And if they do get muddy, make sure you're washing off any mud after the walk and this basically will just put your mind at ease. Um, if you do walk your dog in a lot of muddy areas, check them regularly for any redness or cuts, especially on their face, and their muzzle, their legs and their paws. Um, but as I said, however, we aren't really sure 100% what causes Alabama rot and there aren't actually any restrictions on walking your dog in muddy areas. Um, we just recommend that you give them a rinse off after. And I guess it also saves them bringing mud into the house and shaking all over the house. Which, as so, we know, is a disaster. not ideal. A disaster. pain in the ass. It's where yeah. we need a uh, dog drying robe. Imagine. Yeah, I'm do. So what should we look out for? How do, how do we spot it? Let's put it in layman's terms here. So basically, as I said, what we're looking for is that um, skin ulcers that form on their legs or their paws, because that's obviously where the mud is most, um, but the ulcers may also stretch their head, their muzzle, their tongue as well, and their abdomen. Um, you might mistake them for cuts or bruises, but um, we do have to remember, most importantly, not to freak out and that most skin ulcers are not caused by this condition and Alabama rot is still pretty rare to see, especially in Scotland. Um, it may be that the skin ulcer is the only sign that develops and then these dogs are, go on to live a happy, healthy life and make a full recovery, but it is inevitable that some dogs might develop the kidney failure within nine days of developing these first skin ulcers. So basically, if your dog appears to have some form of redness or bruising or a skin ulcer appears, um, they might start to act lethargic, they might lose their appetite, they might start vomiting and 
when the kidney problem sets in, they might get an increase in thirst or a decrease in urination. So we definitely recommend taking them to the vet if they show any of these signs alongside the redness, any skin ulcers or bruising. So treatment-wise, you have to just take them to the vet pretty much. There's nothing you can really do once it starts. Mm. You're... Yeah, so pretty much, as I said, we don't really know what causes Alabama rot so far, um, but we definitely recommend rinsing them down if they are super muddy after a walk. Um, and the skin ulcers can just be treated for skin ulcers rather than treating specifically for Alabama rot. Um, and then we'd probably, I mean, we'd definitely start monitoring their kidney function with blood tests and urine tests as well. So the most important thing is that the signs are clear and it can be treated if you catch it early on. Yeah. yeah. So we shouldn't be scared to go out. So we can't treat Alabama rot specifically, but we can treat the symptoms that go with Alabama rot. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. But another thing that's popped into <coughs> my head, I don't want to sound selfish, but can humans get it? No, humans cannot get it, or there haven't Thank been God! any reports of humans getting it, or any other little furries that might be in your household. So my guinea pig that I take for a walk will be completely fine. <laughs> if I take, Should be yes. Take but... little, my, little, my pet rat, little little homies. <laughs> for some for some guinea pig training. Exactly. So he sits on the peg next year with me. Yeah. Perhaps drags, <laughs> drags the hen pheasant back for Pro- me. Probably be your best trained animal. We <laughs> should see you on the stop myself. Fantastic. We know it's a big deal in the USA, but what's it looking like for the UK? What's the numbers like at the minute? What's you know what's projection for the future? Should we be worried that it's going to get more and more frequent? You sound very stressed, Ben. There's no reason to be stressed. So it was first detected in the UK in 2012 and since then we've had a total of only 204 cases of Alabama rot. Um, This year alone there's been 13 reported cases but most of these are down in Greater Manchester, Dorset and Devon. So thankfully there hasn't been any confirmed cases in Scotland yet. Touchwood? Everybody touchwood? Touchwood. Touchwood. So don't worry, millions of listeners, as long as you're taking the right precautions and rinsing your dog off after a very muddy walk, singing happy birthday as you do it, twice if it's a smaller dog, maybe three or four times if it's a bigger dog. And yeah, just keep checking them over for any lumps and bumps, as you should be doing anyway, being a responsible dog owner. Thank you very much for having me on, boys. You're very welcome. Thanks Thanks for coming on. We look forward to the next one. I'm sure we'll get you on at some point in the not-too-distant future. I'm glad to be invited back. But thank you very much. Shout out to Alabama Rot. Alabama Rot. Yeah. It's now time for... Ben and Jim's Top Trading Tip. Tip, 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 tip. So our top tip for training your Cocker Spaniel would be to always train in your running shoes. That way, when they inevitably don't listen to you, you're all ready to run after them and chase them across the field as they're chasing a mice. rabbit or a, or a mouse, anything like that. That would that would be your tip, really. I mean, that's a half joke because it, it's not a bad thing to do. Um, it's not a bad that, thing to do with any of your dogs, really. No, that's true. Either that or get a nice comfy pair of wellies. Um, especially cockers. Yeah, just go back and re-listen to our welly review on the last episode if you're looking for a comfy pair. Exactly. Um, but yeah, much the same as the, the Springer Spaniels and the top tip last week. They, they're just lots of energy. You need to really engage them and stimulate them. And you've always got to have your your wits about you um, because they are very cheeky, very cheeky chaps. 
extremely mischievous at the best of times, Jim. And at the worst of times? Dickheads. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. No, no beating around the bush there. Sorry, I can't say that, can I? Why not? We'd, no, we probably should put a disclaimer at the start of the podcast now if we're going to be I won't, uh, no, yeah, I won't, use, I won't use the word dickhead. I'll use the word nonce. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't use the word dickhead. I'll use the word... Um, something I shan't utter on this podcast, Jim. Okay, we'll, we'll discuss it off. That's what I'll say. Off air. Um, anyway, so so yeah, the, very cheeky dogs. Very, very loving dogs as well. So it's, it's more about using their... Unharnessing their energy to, as, as best you can. And you will end up with a lovely... Lovely dog, but just yeah, always always be ready. You know, don't 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 get complacent. Are you finished yet, Jim? Well, no, I'm not, Ben. I'm waiting for your conclusion I, here. Yeah, I let you have your ten minute in conclusion last week. Am I not allowed one this week? This is going on twenty minutes, Jim. Hmm. Okay, we'll try and round it up. In conclusion, um, yeah, have your wits about you. Be ready to to chase after them. Um, always watching them because if they sense you're not watching they will try and do something sneaky and also in this week's podcast we'll also be doing a, a proper handy tip for training as you know last week was well we're doing it now we're doing it now but I think they're a bit ambiguous so how about we do a proper tip that we know to work and we know that's true as because professionals as the only British professional gun dog training podcast out there wow. and yeah we are professionals we do get paid for it. In both fields. In both fields. We don't get paid for podcasting yet. Yet. Uh, but yeah, I think we're not going to be doing breeds all the time. We'll be doing training methods or, you know, puppies. Various other episodes we've got planned. Um, Nutrition. Just, exactly. Lots of other things. A whole range of different topics to cover. But if we try and give you one handy little training tip every week, we thought that'd be useful. So today's tip would be um, when you're training a dog to sit and stay because teaching a dog to sit and stay I don't know how you feel about this Ben but it's probably the cornerstone to all future training because essentially you're teaching patience aren't you and it's a, what a lot of people struggle with yeah they can get their dog to sit but not for a great amount of time no they'll do it but then but they don't get a treat instantly they'll go oh I'm, I'm bored I'm you know move off now that's it so getting your dog to actually you know respond to the command and then hold that command for as long as possible and the easiest way to do that is when you're teaching the dog to sit and stay um is to sit them down on on one spot you know on, on a daisy on the lawn or you know on your driveway and walk away from them you know keep an eye on them you can walk backwards to start with you don't have to be you know you don't have to march away from them because they might decide to follow you um and then when they're sitting lovely and still then going back to them and praising them. Always go back to the same spot. Never be tempted to call them off that spot. Because then your dog will start to preemptively guess when they're going to be called away from that spot. We want them, ideally in my mind, and I'm sure you think the same, Jim, you want the dog to, to switch off. So the minute you sit them down, you just put the handbrake on, yeah. their brain just switches off, and, they go, they, and in their mind they go, right, I'm going to sit here until... Until, until Dad gets until back. Dad Whether gets it's back. in uh, 10 seconds or 10 minutes... You know, I'll just sit here because Dad will come back. So and it's just building up. So the first yeah. time you do it, you may only get three steps away yeah. and constantly have to tell your dog to sit. Yeah. But eventually you will be cutting out the number of times you say sit until you just have to say it once. Yeah, and the distance you can go as well, you can increase that. But the, the main rule is to always go back to your dog and praise them for waiting. So that's a clear signal that if you wait here, I'll come back and I'll give you praise, verbal praise, and a, a you know physical praise, stroking them under maybe a wee treat. 
So please don't hesitate to get in touch if ever you have an issue training your dog and we maybe cover it in our next training tip. We'd be happy to help. So there we go guys, another podcast done. Hope you enjoyed a washing machine free, easy listening. Yeah, we did receive a few complaints from the first episode when the washing machine was We can't call them complaints, they were more critiques. No, just like small little things to work on and look at us now, we're, we're flourishing. With all these We're saving critiques. the washing till after the podcast. We are. It's waiting. We just need to press start. So we'll do that as soon as we're done this. That's exciting. That is exciting. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, please don't hesitate to get in touch if you have any questions or queries um, regarding anything Gundog related. And we'll try and cover it in the next one. Um, what, what's the next podcast? Labradors. Oh, with yes. The boss man himself. Oh, indeed. The mighty Labrador. Yes, we're getting our boss, Charlie Thorburn from Mordor Gundogs. We're going to get him on to have a, have a little ramble about dogs. About dogs. Um, yeah, we'll see where it takes us. Very exciting. Thanks to our first special guest as well. Jen, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me, boys. See you next time. See you next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.